Welcome to the second season of Influence Me, a podcast series where I discuss matters of leadership with a wide range of guests. I'm Assistant Commissioner Andrew Short. For me, this podcast series is all about supporting leaders, both experienced and emerging, through the many challenges that will come on their leadership journey. It is my view that leadership is all about influence, and I look forward to interviewing more guests for the purpose of increasing knowledge and understanding of leadership. As the title of this podcast suggests, I want to be influenced. Today's guest is Ben White, AOM. Ben, or Brenton is his full name, grew up and was educated in country Western Australia. In 1980, Ben joined the Australian Army where he began a journey that would last for 32 years. He developed a passion very early in his career for training and leadership which over his extensive career took him from being a junior commander through to senior management level as a unit commander. Among numerous experiences and qualifications, Ben specialised as a bomb disposal technician operating in and leading small teams and later up to regimental size groups, and that's about 600, I understand, Ben. Having moved through the ranks from a private soldier to a commissioned officer, Ben's life and leadership experiences are extensive. Ben has undertaken training and operational duties in Indonesia, Cambodia, Thailand, Tonga, India, Pakistan, United States, Iraq and Afghanistan. Ben is fluent in Pidgin English, I didn't know that Ben, having also spent two years seconded to the Papua New Guinea Defence Force as a military advisor. Ben has been the recipient of several military commendations, including three from the Chief of the Australian Defence Force for meritorious service in the fields of training and leadership. The greatest honour was when Ben received the Order of Australia Medal, Military Division, in the 2009 Australia Day Awards. Leaving the Australian Army in 2011, Ben joined the Emergency Services Sector of the Queensland State Government, where he is currently employed as the Exec Manager QFES Workforce Development Unit. Ben is married to Maureen and has one son, Matthew. Ben has several hobbies, none of which he is good at, I know know that feeling, mate, including fishing, woodworking, where he successfully, in his words, ruins perfectly good timber, caravanning and collecting military memorabilia. Ben, it's great to have you with me and we don't really know where this conversation is really going to go, but I think why I wanted to have this chat with you is that because of your background, and I know you've been with us for a few years, but you had this extensive service in the military, and I'd imagine that your experiences, both as a soldier and then moving through to becoming a senior officer, and I understand you're a a major at the conclusion of your career, then you would have seen lots of things. And certainly it's great to have you with me. I think today is all about trying to share your experiences, maybe a bit of my experience, to help emerging leaders or senior leaders who might be having a tough time of it understand what's best practice, what things actually, as leaders, they should be trying to do. So let me take you back to your early days as a young soldier and tell me about that guy. Tell me about that guy and where he was and what he learnt along the way. A snapshot. So... I was a 17-year-old, and thank you, thank you for the invitation today, Andrew, it's, it's a great it's, pleasure. It is good. But I was a young 17-year-old country lad who, who had a fairly, 
I guess isolated upbringing and suddenly I went out to this great big wide world of soldiering where I had you know after recruit training and initial employment training I had this freedom where you know there was it, it was all about fun times alcohol and and, and yep. just having a great time and uh, working hard, playing hard, as they say, and not giving a great deal of thought to, to anything but myself. Back in that period of life, and even though we've lived different lives, your horizon's pretty short, you know, because all you're worrying about is your life right then and, and the actual experience that you're having, plus all, the, all those times that you described. So please keep going. So, yeah, and look, in those days, we exercised, the Army exercised a lot, and we would spend three, four, up to six months in the field at a time. And because we were, I was a combat engineer, you know, we would be supporting everybody. So, you know, an infantry unit would move into the exercise area, we'd support them, they'd move out, then another artillery unit. So we were constantly in the field. And when we came out of the field, it was like, you know, fun times and, and uh, let our hair down. And it was probably really when I when I met my wife that I actually started to care, you know, and started to see this thing called leadership and get interested in in leadership. And what, you got any good memories of some of the leaders that you worked for back then, good and bad? Oh, look, I had some great mentors, and 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 I guess I entered the army at a time where. Vietnam hadn't finished that long ago. I, I joined you know, 1979, 80. So, so a lot of my mentors were Vietnam veterans. Sadly, a lot of them were lost in, you know, in, in alcohol. And, you know, some of them came home physically, but their their minds were still in South Vietnam. That aside, though, the things that they taught me about respect, about responsibility, about accountability, and owning, if you messed up, then you owned it, uh, you learned from it, and you moved on. Yeah. And I think and, that... And let me just say, when I talk to people about leadership... <clears throat> I find myself going to expressing my views about if you want to be a good leader, then really quickly get your head around the fact that you have to be upfront and honest with yourself, with your team, with the people you work for at those moments where you screw up. Is that a something that resonates for you? Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, I learned that very early that if you messed up, you know, own it. Uh, it it's okay to make mistakes. Someone's probably going to have a you know have a piece of you, but uh, at the end of the day, they're going to also going to turn around and say, "Okay, let's have a look at what you've done and let's see how we might correct what that." What we can do about it, yeah. And so you know, there was a, there was a learning lesson that came with most things, and and I guess then you you got that respect. And I was a pretty quiet fellow, you know. Things have reshaped me over the over my over my careers, but people sort of looked at me as a pretty subdued, quiet person. But there are a couple of people who used to come up to me and say, hey, hey, Whitey, you know, have you thought about doing this or have you thought about doing that? And that's really where I got that confidence to start taking on leadership roles and attending development programs and then finding out that I was, you know, I, I thought... That you had something to offer. Yeah, I did have something to offer, yeah. And on reflecting on that period for you when you made the jump from being a, and help me if I get the terminology wrong here, but a non-commissioned officer or a, sorry a soldier or non-commissioned officer to make that jump from that into a commission rank would you say that you made that choice partly because others had faith in you a lot of junior leaders i see the person that they're battling all the time is is themselves in their own head in terms of confidence can you talk about that for a sec sure so i, I guess i went through 
you know, all non-commissioned ranks from, from private soldier or sapper in my engineer corps through to Warrants Class 1 where I became a regimental sergeant major. So, And I could have accepted higher level jobs in that regimental sergeant. So there's you know, very high levels like RSM of the Army and I'm not sure I would have been one of those. But I guess I reached the time where I became, well, what, what next? And then one of my bosses said to me, Ben, why don't you why don't you commission, you know, go for commissioning? And I said, oh, I don't really want to. So I actually put it off for probably two or three years. Yep. And then came a time where I was actually going to leave the Army. And then one of my, again, another of my bosses turned around and said to me, Ben, now's the time, you know, to go to the board and see if you can commission. And so I thought, I went home and discussed it with my wife and yeah, there was nothing to lose. So I attended an officer selection board, which is a fairly rigorous process, to, and got through. Cool. And I was commissioned as a, you don't commission as a lieutenant, you commission straight up to a captain. captain so, so. Yeah. And then uh, worked for some really wonderful people after that. Give me an example of a boss that you worked for, that even today you go, how lucky was I to work for that person? No, look, there's one that stands out, and sadly he left the military, I think, prematurely, but he was headhunted by private industry. Okay, uh, which is extremely in itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's extremely a high-level operator, but... He was such, he had such an affinity with people. At the same time, he could be very, you know, if, if he if he said something and wanted you to do something, he was not directive, but you knew that it had to be done. And So what, just just effectively assertive? And he was, but, but he had a great manner with it. Yeah. I rarely saw him get upset. And he was, you know, he, he had appointments as, you know, he was ADC to the governor of Western Australia and, so he had a lot of high-level appointments. So he was really going places. Yeah. And he came, he got out of the army, came back in for a time, uh, but then left again, sadly. But he was always encouraging, and he just had this ability to sit down with a, a private soldier and relate to them. At the same time, he could walk into a room full of generals and politicians and lift the conversation yeah, to their Yeah, so level. he was very good at targeting his communication yeah. to his audience. Amazingly yeah. so. Yeah. And I, and I just admired him so much because he was he was just a good human being. Uh, any, any other traits, uh, character traits that, that resonate? Yeah, you talked about that he was a very good communicator. You talked about, what, did you say earlier, did you venture into how he worked with people or how he treated people? Talk about that. So, no, you know, he, he was such a respectful person, again, regardless of, of who you were or what you were. Uh, he would always take time to talk to you or, you know, if, if there was a decision to be made that went against, uh, you know, something, he would always explain the why. You know, why did I make that decision? It's because of this. Yeah. Sometimes he didn't have to do that, but he did that because yeah. he wanted people to understand, you know, why he had made such a decision. Um, what's, that, what's that expression about that? When we get to the end of our career, people don't remember what happened, but they remember how they, how they felt. Yeah. In terms of how they were treated, it sounds like this guy was really good. But when you actually serve with or under a new leader, a good leader, you feel safe. You actually feel it. That's a great word. You safe. actually yeah. feel it. And yeah. you feel it that they've got your back and yeah. in turn you have theirs. And that's really important. And there was probably, there was a few of those, but, you know, this guy in particular uh, was was one of those who, uh, who we still contact. You know, we still talk to each other to this day. But why, why that's so special for me, Ben, that the, that person that you're describing is, I'm going to refer to a Shakespeare quote here, which is, heavy is the head that wears the crown. 
yeah. which speaks to that when you become a leader, particularly as you become more senior, your head is full of stuff. And the fact that this guy could still make time you know, for someone junior or someone that he had to explain the reasoning for something really speaks to him. So yeah. this is really quite powerful. Can we just switch over now and talk about, you know, so you've been associated with emergency services now for... Geez, I'm going to make a uh, uh, guess here. Eight years, ten years? How yeah, long? Yeah, le- nearly eleven years. Yeah. And you know, by now you would have seen. And the whole purpose of this podcast is to have a real conversation about what's positive and what, what's not so positive with our sector. I think that, and we, and just before we started, you know, you and I were discussing what we we're going to title this podcast, and you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, comes to mind. Certainly, we've got some great leaders. In, in this sector, in our organization even. And, and certainly some of the things that you've already spoken about with that example of yours with a, with a leader you used to work for, we've got people like that. It's wonderful. And certainly that gives me hope that beyond me, beyond my generation, that the organization and the sector is going to go on because it does incredibly important work. And I know that you've been associated not with the not just with the staff side of the house, but with the volunteer side through your involvement with the State Emergency Service previously. You're happy to give me a bit of a sense of where you think our strengths are as leadership in our sector and maybe where you think we're maybe a bit underdone. So talk about the first one first in terms of the strengths or the positives that you see in leaders in our sector. Look, I agree with you, Andrew. We have some wonderful leaders in in the sector and, you know, People who are experienced, who are driven, who are there for, you know, their line of sight is to community and to support in the community. And they will go all in to do that. I think, you know, there is such a wonderful future for the sector. If, and I guess stepping, stepping over the line here a little bit, is the thing that drags us down is, is politics. And, that's hard to bat away, but I think... You're uh, talking about politics within organisations? Inter- internal and yeah, external. In, yeah, internal yeah. external. So, yep. so internal politics, I guess, is can be quite destructive and we need to give people room to breathe. But if we cover them in... Confusion. C- confusion, confusion, because I guess, they're, they're trying to make sense of yeah. dynamics that are playing out in the workplace. Yeah. Yep. And we restrict them through, uh, through industrial rules and regulations then we're not going to see the best of them but what that also builds is risk it builds risk for the individual and builds risk for the organization because suddenly people see this and go oh well you know we're actually not getting the best out of that organization and and we you know this it's costing us this much but at the end of the day they're, they're, they're doing this what's our what's our return on investment but it also can sometimes undermine public confidence Certainly does. And certainly some of, the, some of the issues that pop out when the issue splashes outside the organisation mm. can be damning in terms of reputation yeah. you know, for the organisation. Just on politics, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's a, you know, we, we could do a podcast <laughs> on the subject by itself. You know, there's a, a book, and I can't remember the author's name, but it's, uh, it's titled From Buddy to Boss. And it talks about going from being a, one of the team mm. to being the, the person who's accountable. And that difficult shift, the author, and I do wish I could remember the author's name, but I can't, expressed that any person who steps into a leadership role is going to be confronted with internal politics at some stage. 
Now, I say that not having the answer for that. And the only way I can reconcile that in my own mind, and this has probably been my own experience in trying to navigate through that difficult small p political environment, is not to lose yourself or not to see a soul, not to betray your own values. This can be really interesting because in doing that, and I'm going to get to a question here for you, in doing that, my experience has been that, you know, that's where you can get offside with people because there might be a convenient outcome that people are looking for or a component of or a team or an individual. And when you hold your ground, that can be a moment. So, and you don't need to, you know, provide any examples here, but, but have you experienced that as a leader? Oh, look, I have probably on a number of occasions, <laughs> but um, I guess working in foreign countries, and I'll be careful not to name any particular country, but I saw it in, in, in quite a few where you have corruption is endemic. It's systemic. And yeah. sadly, you know, that that is what it is. And coming in as, as a foreigner, you can't, you can't intervene in that culture because, you know, people say, well, why not? Well, you know, until you're in that position and actually experience it, it's very hard to explain. But you have to actually maintain your own values. So that is where your challenge comes up to say, okay, I, I understand this. I understand why it operates like this, but I can't, I can't drop my personal values and I, I can't become part of this. So you have to, you have to remain aloof and you have to, you know, you have to keep yourself separate from that. Otherwise, Which is not always easy. And it's not, and it's not. Particularly when, I'll give you an example, in one country where there was a large amount of money in a particular area that was taken and just by, I mean, they knew who took the money. And people came to me and said, oh, Ben, you know, they shouldn't do that. That You know, we need to, we need to get our money back and, and I said, well, that's not for me to do that. It's you, you know, you need to do that. I, I'm not the person who goes and, and says, you know, give the money back because it's, it's yours and it's your responsibility. So nothing happened because they were scared. They were yeah. scared to do it because of this, of, of the cultural uh, systems and norms that existed within this particular country. Sometimes I think that you know, some of the, those, you know, we'll say corruption, you know, corruption moments uh, in developing countries. It's not to say that modern Western countries and organisations in modern Western countries don't have it. I, my, my experience has been it's just that the corruption becomes a lot more sophisticated yeah. uh, as opposed to the very rudimentary that you'll see with a, a developing country, which sometimes it's a, a case of it's not even seen as corrupt. It's seen as a way of life or a way of getting an outcome through your local politician or whatever. Let's talk a bit more about the highs and the lows and your observations. And we've talked about the, you know, we've got some great people, both volunteers and, and staff in our sector who are so, you know, community driven and look after their teams well, communicate well. What are some of the things that we can do better with? I think valuing our people is probably one of the biggest ones, is trusting and valuing our people. We don't do enough of that. And we tend to be very, I'll say it's probably a bad word, but sometimes I've seen things as almost like a caste system where you have a pecking order in an organisation where you have the, the, the majority stakeholder who rules the roost and and sadly... They don't allow those other people around them to to exercise their abilities or even understand what 
talents that these people have, which are many and varied, as, as you well know. So, you know yeah, what? It's, it's, I, I need to say this. I, because I, I moved from being in a, from the staff side <clears> of our sector into the volunteer world of our sector, I got to see people with very different motivations. Mm. And oh, look, I'm not going to say that you know, some of our volunteers are quite unique in the way they go about their business. And sometimes, you know, some of them uh, you know, have been known to you know, join and get the uniform and the rank markings because it'll make them feel better. Whereas that's a minority. The majority of them are just people trying to help their community. And it's wonderful. I just need to, to acknowledge the great majority of our volunteers who, you know, to the you know, words you've just used, are there for the right reason. Sorry, I may have interrupted your train of thought here. Keep going, mate. And I think, you know, I've often had people say to me, but our leadership is different in, in our area. And, you know, they don't know how to lead these types of people. And, and I think leadership is leadership is leadership. I'm a great believer leadership is contextual and situational. So if you have the basic fundamentals of leadership down pat, and when I say down pat, it's, it's not a process, as you know, but, yeah. it's, but you, are, you, know, you are a good, accomplished leader then you should be able to lead in any context and environment. And it's about that chameleon. You know, that, that, uh, you know, that chameleon is a, is, you know, can change colours. A wonderful creature that can adapt yeah, to its environment. Exactly. And yeah. so that's what, as leaders, I, I'm a great believer, is that we need to be chameleon-like and be able to adapt and show the agility to adapt to any type of leadership environment. Now, to the point that you've just made about how some people fall in the trap of thinking that you know maybe they're special or you know their their background or their cohort's special therefore they can be different or leadership only applies a certain way for some reason i just when you were talking about i had the you know dunning kruger effect you know jumping in my head mm. which is that syndrome where particularly very arrogant people or you know narcissist in the extreme case are so non-self-aware of their limitations that they go about their business, you know, do a lot of damage, and they're oblivious to it. And I imagine that you've probably seen a bit of that over time in different cases. The risk that that creates, and I think to the point where it actually puts the organisation at risk because suddenly people put themselves on such a platform that one, we have to be, we have to lead things all the time. You know, that that's what it's about. It's about us and. If we're going to lead things, then we need this. We need to be regarded as special. And people become difficult to deal with. So what happens is those other people going, oh, look, I don't want to deal with these people anymore, so I'm going to go around them. So they actually go around them, and suddenly those people who are putting themselves on a pedestal will find themselves sitting on that pedestal alone because suddenly people have moved on and gone, you know, they're irrelevant to me now. i found a workaround, so I'm going to go and work with these yeah, people. So what, yeah, what you, I think you know, my words... Yeah, we have leadership and we have followership. Correct. And if you don't have that second part, then it's a pretty, you're going to be you know, on that pedestal by yourself yeah. and with no one around you. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was funny um, a lot of years ago now, but I, I was a young soldier and I was sent on a work party to go, and, um, to go and help a very senior regimental sergeant major. He was leaving the army and we had to go and help him move some things out of his office. So five of us went up there and, we come around the corner and he he's standing on the ground and he yells out to us. He says, where are you people from? And we told him where we were from, what we were there for. He said, I thought so. I could tell by the haircuts because he was so... But 
he, he said to me, uh, as an aside, he said, you know what, they had a big send-off for me last night. It was pretty lonely in that phone box. And later on down the track, I, I talked to people about him and why did he portray himself like that? Because I also found out that he served with great distinction in, distinction in South Vietnam. He had implemented a lot of things for people, uh, about people, and he was a very people-orientated person, even though... But I often question, why did he... Why, Why did he say that? That's, and, that's really quite interesting. But, but he was he was outwardly aggressive, yep. and he didn't want yeah clearly from my impression didn't want people to see his soft you know, softer side, which yep. I think he he really had. And I thought it was a real shame because he was when I when I looked at what and heard about what he had accomplished in his career, this was an amazing person. But people would talk about him. Well, don't go near him. You know, because he's thorny or because he's aggressive or exactly, because he's, a, exactly. he's not a nice person. You know, yeah. It's, so, so finding that balance, and I will talk about uniformed services, yeah. and I think sometimes the uniform can work against us in you put the uniform on and all of a sudden you, some junior leaders start to think, well, I've got to have all the answers. You know, I don't have to consult so much. I can just be directive and be a strong leader and blah de blah blah. Is that the answer? Yeah, sadly you see that, and, and I was probably a victim of that for a while. You know, as a, as a young junior leader before well, we, all, we all get to be young junior leaders yeah. who don't get it right. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's part of the. It's almost part of that transition. Is part of the. It's almost that journey that you have to take. But it's sad to see because sometimes people carry that through their entire careers and think that that uh, uniform, and I wore a uniform for 30 plus years, and uh, I was very proud to wear that uniform, very proud to belong who I belong to. But at the same time, it's not something that you use to disrespect others or, or place yourself on that platform that we just talked about. And you know, sometimes people will come to you because you're wearing that uniform. And sometimes in times of emergency, people won't care what uniform you're wearing. Or even if you're wearing a uniform, they just want to be helped. That's right. So that's, you know, you and I have both learned that lesson a lot. Yeah. But, uh, and that's what it's about. It's, it's, I think we've got to reground yourself and, and say, what am I here for? Yeah, so therefore, it's a case of we have to keep looking out yeah. and, and not look in. And, yeah. we, and we could talk about culture here, you know, cultures which are very good at connecting, remaining connected to their mission versus cultures who end up, you know, the mission becomes all about them. And, you know, there's been lots of examples in society when that goes like that. Before we turn the corner here, just want to talk about self-awareness a bit. And I grabbed an expression, which is the first step is always self-awareness, mm. as in any dilemma that you're confronted with, uh, any situation you're in, that being aware of self. And I say this and, and raise this topic because I know you've been heavily involved in our organisation to raise the profile of self-awareness. Talk to me about self-awareness. Why do you think it's so important? I guess you have to be really aware of your own strengths and and limitations when before you unlead others. You know, you can't... Uh Without understanding that, it's very difficult to lead other people. And, you know, it's about understanding, you know, how you see yourself and how others actually see you and being courageous enough to go to somebody and, and seek feedback from them. Or It's imperative. 
it's imperative. And if you don't have that self-awareness, then to be honest with you, you won't be a good leader. And what goes with that, and this is something I've gotten better at because I wasn't always good at it, being able to change your mind on something. Yeah. Being able to listen to either a team member, a colleague, a member of the community, which results in you arriving at the point where you go, geez, my, my view on this is outdated or my view on this is limited. Yeah. I think that what goes with self-awareness is this realisation that this journey that we're on as leaders never ends in terms of our development. I think that's the other thing that my experience has been that the ones who tend to get jammed, where they get to a point and they fall in the trap of thinking that they don't have to learn anymore or they, you know, they are who they are. I don't need to change. And or whatever words we, we hear, I think that for me, that lifelong learning attitude is fundamental to the success of a leader in this age. You got anything else you want to say to that point? Leadership's not a process. And I think those people who treat leadership as a process are those when their playbook is, is, is finished then they will find themselves in, a, in serious trouble. And you generally find that people who lean back on, you know, I'm an operational, I'm a functional expert in this area and I'm a technical expert in this area. So I don't need to have those other skills around, um, you know, leadership, people management, governance, administration. So we talk about rounding, you know, it's essential that leaders are rounded and sometimes, you know, that other stuff is not it's is boring, so we'll just push that aside. But without rounding, you know, as you know, as you as you go further and further up the leadership chain, you've got experts around you who can do all that technical stuff. You need to have a, you know, a macro knowledge, absolutely. But you need to be across things like finance. You need to be across things like procurement, governor, all those things because they are career death. Yeah, and they will they will kill an organisation, as well as you. And they'll kill a career. Correct. So a lot of people don't realise that until it's too late. And I constantly say to people, go and have a look at this. Step outside of your world now and go into this world for a little while. Get some experience from the other side of the fence, and then come back and bring those lessons back in, because you'll find that you'll be a different you. You'll be a, a better leader. Plus, will you'll build a better organisation? Yeah. The the book titled Don't Be a Part-Time Jet Fighter Pilot. Yes. And I read it some time ago, which essentially says the point, as you become more senior, don't put yourself at risk by knowing the answer on a very tactical or technical question. Yet, whether that takes us into discussions about armchair generals and mm. uh, whatever, uh, but certainly something that really can piss your team off. When you play in detail, that, that's their job. Yeah. And, and I think there's an article I read recently about dysfunctional momentum, and it's a, it's it's a very very sobering. In 2015, there was 19 US firefighters killed in a wildfire incident, and when the investigation team, even though they couldn't fully prove it, they said that they were victims of, of what they called dysfunctional momentum. So, you know, in, in our in the emergency services, we have this fix it, let's fix the problem, and we come up with these familiar problems and we have these familiar solutions so we're constantly going there fix 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 but suddenly something changes on us and so uh, we don't see that change and we go in there with our regular fix and it doesn't work and in this case they, they believe that's what so we, we double down or you know when someone says stop hey we need to think about this we go 
no, shut up, I'm in charge, yeah. uh, you know, I know boats, and we continue along that same path to failure, and eventually it will lead to failure. So people having the courage to say, stop, we need to stop here and, and, and just take stock of what's happening, get our situational awareness, and then reformulate our plan and then go forward. But sadly, in, in this case, they believe, you know, because those, um, those smoke jumpers were, were so used to, you know, fix, fix, you know, we've done this so many times. They believe that that was the... the, the yeah, and there's a lot of research on this around the human factors and yeah. and you keep loading chips onto the table. You don't want to throw your hand in, you know, to use that expression because you, you've got a shit hand yeah. and, you know, retreat, regather, reconsider yep. and then maybe come into it with another strategy. I'm now going to, to take us to the, the five questions which I finish with uh, ev- with every podcast, with every guest. Now, the first question is, what do you wish you really understood? Wow. Yeah, it's uh, a pretty good question. <laughs> Look, I, I don't think you could ever understand human nature. I, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's we, we can be very simple, but we can be very complicated beasts. Well, we're a, we're a chemical cocktail. That, that's the yeah. expression I keep going yeah. back to. And if you want to treat us all, uh, expect that people are going to be like machines, it's never going to happen. No. No, I, I think yeah, I think the human psyche and human nature, you know, it's it's even Intriguing. though yeah, it's it's just one of those things that keeps on giving, and and I don't think you ever fully, you'll you'll never fully understand it. Now there's a there's an expression about that people can be a mystery to others. Yeah, and that's the second question, which goes towards that, which is what do you wish that other people understood about you? That maybe they don't. Yeah, I think sometimes I can be, I can be quite aggressive. Is probably the wrong word. But gruff, I, gruff when it comes to people yeah. and things that hurt people. Yeah, and people who give poor consideration to the people elements. I once had a very senior executive in government tell me that I that I I forget the words he used, but he said that I identify with people too much, and I, I sort of t- started to take it as a slight, but I took it as a compliment because people for me, are, without people we don't function, and people for me are my passion, and I love to see people succeed, and so there's lots of things in my military career that shape me and reshape me, and I. At the end of the day, you know, I have a passion for people. And yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the things that you and I yeah. probably align on. I think the notion of trying to balance the people stuff with the business stuff, yeah. for me, remains central. The best leaders I know are the ones who can do both. Yeah. And when you see the pendulum go extreme either end, that's where dysfunction can come in. Because in the end, we are here to do a job, yeah. you know, whether it's your earlier life where you know as a soldier or now me earlier me now we've got things we've got to do which align to the mission of our organization however i do believe that keeping people central to that challenge allows us to be more effective now i know i will have people disagree with me on that and certainly you know the research says that that when people become more senior they they're at risk of treating people poorly and I don't have the answer to that but I do know that it's something that I find myself repeating 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 particularly with leaders that I associate with who get that balance wrong and all the literature out there the research does point now more than ever before 
to keeping people at the center of your equation and enacting yourself and your ability to affect something bringing that team along with you yeah great it's a really quite an interesting area the next question there is in respect to your own leadership development and knowing what you know now what advice would you give to the younger version of yourself don't be afraid to make mistakes but when you make those mistakes own them learn from them and Forgive others of their mistakes if you constantly hold people. They become so fearful exactly. that they lock up, um, is my yeah. And I guess it's, a, it's also around reducing the mistakes you play. You know, there's a saying, listening is the common cold of leadership and management. And I think if, if there was a, a skill that I would say to people to learn is listening is effective listening. There's listening and hearing. There's a book by uh, Bernard Ferrari called Power Listening, and he talks about listening is the first part of decision-making. Yeah, yeah. And so it will open doors. You know, if, if people believe, and, you, and you've seen it, where people, you know, Andrew's a great listener, and then he follows through. I didn't used to be. Yeah. I used to be a shit. <laughs> yeah. I've had to work on it really yeah. hard. It's, it's hard. Listen, yeah. You know, effective listening is hard. But Even stopping yourself that trap that people could fall in which is when you're listening you're actually what you're doing in your mind is you're you're developing your rebuttal or or your response and so one of the things i've worked hard on is listen listen for understanding listen for intention intention and you can get better and i am better i'm you know i probably still have my good days and my bad days now depending on what other things are on me but you can improve yeah. yeah. The next question, which is the fourth question, if you had a magic wand, what's an ability you would give current leaders in our sector right now? Develop a broader perspective. Look outside of your kingdom and you know, look over the fence to see what others are doing and, and what they can do and value the people around you, understand what talents they have and use those talents. It's amazing that when you empower people they will actually make you look fantastic as a leader and that's something you know i've learned that when you know if you give people some the freedom of action and the ability to use their skills they will do it and they will respect you for having done that and being a person who has seen team members who have worked for me or with me be successful it's such a beautiful moment. And whether you've had a little bit to do with that or a lot more to do with that, yeah. it's a wonderful moment. And for me, that speaks to legacy. Yeah. That that person is going to be probably there longer than you are in terms of your you know, timings and your career, that they're going to go on. And therefore, part of you will go on. And, and I see leaders who you know, get caught in that trap of thinking it's all about them and how when they leave and they transition into a new part, a different part of their life, they can become quite lonely. Whereas I think, you know, being really clear about the legacy that you want to leave, including as demonstrated by the people that you've worked with or helped them or whatever, it's pretty, it's pretty special. And talk about legacy, that's the final question here. What's a legacy you wish to be remembered for as a leader? That I left things of value that people could carry on and learn from, but also that I had a positive influence on people that that they could carry forward you know, in their in their leadership journey. When we talk about, you know, my sister does a similar job to me in Western Australia for a, for a private company, 
And she talked to me about a person she worked for and he died of cancer. Was rang me one day and she was quite upset. And she said, you know, I've just looked in the corner. There's a basket of his belongings just waiting for his family to come and pick up. And that's, that's all that's left of him. And that probably provides perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That we're only here for a certain time. Yeah. You know, try to use our time well. Try to think that's all about us. Yeah. It's about those around us. You know, a sad example, but real and true. Yeah. Ben, that's the five questions. And that's where we've got to the end. Thank you for your service to our country in your earlier days as a, as a soldier. And thank you for the work you've done now. Because I've seen you toil away in trying to bring different leadership concepts to our organisation and therefore our sector so that leaders in the future might have it a little bit easier because they've been taught the right things or they've got access to the right resources or materials or reference, learnings, whatever the words might be. You've been a big part of that and I personally appreciate it. And I thank you for coming along today to have a chat to me. Thanks, Andrew. I really appreciate the, the, your time and uh, having the opportunity. Cheers. Good on you. Thanks, mate.